Hi, my name is Dan Carson. I'm the family pastor at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, and I want to welcome you to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church home, a place to join in ministry and community with others, I'd love to invite you to come and to worship with us. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Again, we would love to to meet, spend some time together. And if you're looking for information about the church, you can find us at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message entitled Windows of the Heart from our series, Matters of the Heart, taken from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Let's listen together. February is known as the month of love. (laughs) It's almost a joke, isn't it? The world doesn't have an idea what true love is really all about. No one knows for sure where it all got started. Did you know that there are at least a dozen men known as St. Valentine in the Catholic records? Somewhere along the way, St. Valentine became identified with romantic love. Hence our month of love and Valentine's Day, which, by the way, men, is tomorrow. Don't forget Remember, the average person spends over $200 for their valentine. Don't use your tithe and offerings for that, but be sure you get something for your very special one. Well, in recognition of the month of love, we're in a series of messages entitled Matters of the Heart. And the message I want to share with you today is entitled Windows of the heart. Did you know your heart has some windows? God wants you to be able to see your heart as it really is. So I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah in the Old Testament chapter 17, page number 645, if you want to read out of one of the Pew Bibles. And we're going to read some verses that deal with the heart. Now, as I mentioned last week, the Bible refers to the heart almost 1,000 times from Genesis to Revelation. It is an important subject. Remember what, what the heart, or what the Word of God means when it refers to the heart. It, it's not referring to this, uh, this pump inside of us that circulates the blood, that keeps us alive, that is desperately and vitally important, important physically. But it has to do with uh, something more than that, that has a spiritual and an emotional component. We put this truth up on the screen last week, and we'll put it back up uh, today, uh, that the key truth about the heart is this, as the Bible describes it, as the Bible mentions it, the heart is that spiritual part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell. It's the spiritual part of your life where your emotions and also your desires, and those things go hand in hand, where those things reside, have their origin, and have their source. Now, God's message to his people 
through Jeremiah very much deals with the heart. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, this young prophet that Jeremiah mentions, that God mentions through him, the heart at least 50 times in this book, more than once uh, for every chapter. Now, before we read our text, I want you to hear these words from the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. You don't have to turn over there, but this is what the Lord said to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 5, that initiates and begins his prophetic ministry. The Lord said, Jeremiah, before I formed you, before you were even even caused to to be birthed and, and that you breathe. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, even before you were conceived, in eternity past, Jeremiah, I formed you I knew you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you. Four things about his life. Now, can I say this? If you are a born-again believer, the same four things are true about you. Even before you existed, God had formed you in his mind. He knew you as his own. He consecrated you, and he appointed you as his servant in this world. Now, in the very next chapter, Jeremiah chapter 2, when the Lord is beginning to give Jeremiah his very first message to speak to Israel, this is what the message was. The Lord says to Israel, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. What he's describing is how God had separated Israel for his own. And specifically, he is talking about how he brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage and how Israel was married to him, how Israel followed him in their early days. He said, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember your love as a bride, how you followed me into the wilderness in a land not sown. You were holy to me. You were the first fruits of my harvest. Now, needless to say, that's a blessed relationship, is it not? It's a very special, a glorious position of privilege, but we know Israel did not stay true to those, um, to that devotion, to that love, to that obedience to the Lord. For you see, over the next 900 years, actually more than 900 years, there was great decline in the nation of Israel. And some 900 plus years After the Lord said that about these people and called them out, we have Jeremiah speaking to them as a prophet about 20 years of age. No wonder they didn't listen to him. 
He was just a young college-age whippersnapper, right? I want to suggest to you that only someone that's been called of God and lived those days as a young, ignored to a great degree, whippersnapper, you don't know what that feels like. But that's Jeremiah's calling. And, and this first message through Jeremiah, God is calling to remembrance of the faithfulness of these people. And this Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet in Scripture. Why? Because his tears and his emotions show through and are expressed in his messages to God's people. He suffered greatly for the Word of God. So then we come to chapter 17, and Israel is in great decline. Already Israel, the ten tribes of the north, have fallen. And now we have Judah hanging on uh, just by her, her toenails and fingernails, so to speak. They're about to be overrun. They're about to be carried away. And Jeremiah's message, God speaking through him, is one of, of seeking to call the people back to God. And we have this in chapter 17. Follow along in your Bibles, and I hope you'll keep your Bibles open uh, today. You need to read these words for yourself. That's why we don't typically put very many verses on the screen. You need to know your way around your Bible. And every service, there ought to be the sound of pages of Scripture turning as you read these words for yourself from God's Word. In Jeremiah 17, the Lord contrasts the person who turns away from God with the person who trusts in the Lord. We begin with verse nine or verse five. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Now let's pause for just a minute and notice the descriptive language here. The person who trusts in man, the person who trusts in themselves, the person who walks by their own wisdom, by their own knowledge, and not uh, in obedience to and trust in the Lord. What is this person like? Their heart turns away from God. They are like a shrub in the desert, in a place where no good can come. They are in an uninhabited, parched wilderness, and the land is salty. It just makes you thirsty. It just causes you to realize that there can be nothing good and productive here. In contrast, notice verse 7. Instead of cursed, we have blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Do you see the complete flipping of the script here? A complete change at an, in an opposite place is the person who trusts in the Lord. 
This person, instead of being like a, a withering, dried up, fruitless shrub in a salty, dry, parched desert, this person is like a tree, not a shrub, next to the rivers or the streams of water, not in a dry place. This person does not fear when heat comes. It remains green always. It is not anxious in the year of drought because it is bearing fruit all the time. If that sounds just a little bit familiar to you, when you go home today, turn over to the very first psalm and read that because it's almost word for word about the godly person who is like a tree planted by rivers of water. Okay, so you have the contrast, the cursed man and the blessed man. And then you have this word of explanation, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is the word of the Lord. So we have the person whose heart turns away from God, and we have the person who trusts in God. And then we have this explanation, this warning. But understand, it's difficult to know your heart. There are people who profess and think they are like the blessed man, when in reality they are not. Why? Because they don't know the true condition of their heart. The heart is deceitful above everything. Did you know that the greatest liar you will ever see or experience in life is your own heart? Well, I thought it was that politician in Washington. He's number two, okay? But the greatest liar in your life is your own heart. Your heart will deceive you. It is deceitful above all things. Not only that, it's desperately sick. We have sick hearts. And how can we understand the true condition of of our hearts. Well, thankfully, we have a Lord who searches the heart and who tests the mind, and He gives every man according to His ways, according to the fruit of His deeds. So when God says through Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately sick and unknowable, it means that we are in a mess. And since our hearts are that spiritual part of us where emotions and desires dwell, well, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Well, here's the good news. Not only does God search the hearts and He tests our minds, but the person who has been born again, truly born again, the person who has trusted Jesus as Savior, his finished work on the cross, whereby he took your sins and mine on his own body 
and he carried our sins, and he died, he experienced the wrath of the Father, and he experienced a very literal death, dying in our place. And since we have been called by his Spirit and have trusted in him as the only source of our righteousness, of our salvation, of our hope of heaven, that when that happened, that our heart was made new. Jesus moved in. It's what the book of Ezekiel says in chapter 36 and verse 26, when he says, and I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will put that within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, sensitive to the Spirit. So our hard, lying, deceitful hearts have been transplanted with the presence of God. Now that doesn't mean that our hearts still cannot deceive us. But it does mean we have an aid and an assistance to be able to see the true condition of our hearts, okay, to sense the presence of God. So I want to say to you that there are some windows. Your heart has some windows. Just like you can go to Washington Regional or the Mercy Hospital and they can run tests on your heart and they can do that little, you know, up and down thing and tell you different things about your heart. Understand that God in His Word gives us some tests for our hearts. He gives us some windows where we can see it. There used to be an old gospel song going back, oh, I don't know, at least 50 years that asked the question, how about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. And then it asked the question, friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side? so that all could see what you really are, and there was nothing you could hide. Anybody remember that old song? Well, very few, if any of us, because it's an old song, right? Maybe uh, we'd be more familiar with Paul Simon in his song, Graceland, where he says, losing love is like a what? A window of your heart. Everyone sees you're blown apart. Everyone sees the wind blow. So what is his solution? I'm going to Graceland. Memphis, Tennessee. Graceland. It's where all hearts can be made right, according to Paul Simon. Well, there are windows of our heart. We actually began last week by seeing the first one, although I didn't call it or identify it that way. So let's pick it up and let me give you four windows into your heart. Four ways you can see the true condition of your affections and your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one we mentioned last week, the Word. The Word of God. The Word of God itself is a window to our hearts. In what way? If you remember, we read the text from Mark chapter 4, about four types of soil. You remember Jesus taught that parable, saying when it comes to the Word of God, there are four kinds of soil. The sower goes out and he scatters 
the seed. And the seed of God's Word, as it is taught, as it is read, as it is preached every Sunday in gospel preaching and believing churches, the seed of God's Word falls on four different kinds of soil, four different kinds of hearts. There are hard hearts where the seed just bounces off. Satan comes like the birds and eats it and snatches it and carries it away. It doesn't do anything in some people's lives. And then there are shallow hearts. This is called the rocky soil. It's where the soil is very shallow on top of the bedrock. And very quickly, because it warms quickly in the spring, this soil receives the word very, very quickly and very joyfully. But just as soon as hardships come, persecution comes, difficulty comes, the heat gets turned up on a Christian life or on this person that has embraced the word, the word begins to fail. It shrivels, it dries up, it doesn't have a depth of soil. This person who made a profession is not truly saved at all because they fall away. And then there is the crowded heart. This is where the weeds grow up and they choke out the growth uh, of the true uh, result uh, of the seeds. So the seeds never really get a chance. They get choked out by what he calls the cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches, the different things of life that crowd out the truth of God. This might be your hobbies. It might be your work. It might be your family life. It might be your love for sports. Some, some people are more excited today about the Super Bowl than they are that which will affect their eternal souls. It's just the truth. So whatever crowds out the word in your life, uh, the seed doesn't take root. Then there's the good soil, and only one out of four produces a harvest, okay? So how you receive the word tells you about your heart. It's a window into your soul. So I ask you, how are you doing? Are you spending time with the Word on a regular basis? Is the Word shaping you? Or is the Word crowded out? Or is it just bouncing off a hard soul, a hard heart? How you receive the Word tells you about the conditions of your heart. It is a window into your soul. But then we have another one. Out of that, what really grows out of that idea of the good soil is the idea of our walk. Not only the word, but our walk. The Bible refers to the Christian life, especially in the New Testament, as our walk. It also said in that first psalm that I referred to a while ago that there is a walk, that the Christian, that the godly man, the godly person walks in a certain way. Now understand this key truth that we're going to put on the screen. You are not truly receiving the Word like good soil unless you are walking in the Word. You're not truly receiving the Word of God. You may respect the Word of God. You may respect the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. But if it isn't causing your life to change, 
Even if you have a daily, quote, quiet time that you receive the word and write down some good thoughts every single day, if it is not modifying your life, if it is not changing your life, if it is not impacting the way that you walk in this world, understand you are not good soil. You are not truly receiving the word of God. Do you... Are you familiar with Psalm 119? It's the longest division in all of the Bible. Now, it's, it's not, uh, Psalms are not divided into chapters like other books, uh, Old and New Testament. They're divided into individual psalms, individual hymns, so to speak. The collection of psalms, all 150, they are the Jewish hymn book. It's the word that they sang. And the longest of all is Psalm 119. It is 176 verses long. And it's in different groups. We can't go into all of it. Different eight-verse sections. And in Psalm 119, which deals, by the way, exclusively, all 176 verses, with the Word of God. It refers to the Word of God. It refers to statutes, meaning His Word, judgments, righteous rules, precepts, testimonies, the law, commands, promises. It uses all these words and more to talk about the Bible itself, to talk about the Word of God. Psalm 119 is a celebration of the Word of God, the seed that is sown. And in this psalm, we are challenged to walk in God's Word in at least nine different ways. At least nine, we won't read all these verses, we don't have time, but I want to list them up here on the screen for you. Nine things we are told to do in, as a way of receiving the Word of God. First of all, we're challenged in at least four verses to learn it. Learn God's Word. Then we're told also to seek it, to pursue it, to seek it. Then we are told, number three, to choose it, meaning the ways of God, to choose the ways of God over the ways of the world. Then we are told to remember it, meaning to memorize it, to remember God's Word so it will always be with you. Number five, we're told to turn towards it. That is a change in the way that we walk because when we walk according to the flesh, we are not walking towards the Word of God, but we're told to turn towards it. That involves repentance. We're told, number six, to sing it. I mean, after all, the whole book of Psalms is a song. We are told to sing the word to the Lord. That's why we are very cautious and very careful in the selection of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, that they are true to the word of God so that we can be faithful to this challenge to sing it to the Lord. We are told, number seven, to meditate on it to meditate on it. Understand, meditation is not just meditation. When the world talks about meditation, the idea is to empty your mind of all thoughts, to move into some kind of a state of, 
of, of almost an unconsciousness to empty your mind. I want to tell you, when you empty, for some of us, it doesn't take much. But to empty our minds is to open us up to the influence of the enemy. To meditate, as the Bible talks about it, is to fill our minds. To fill our minds with the Word of God and with truth, with the right things, and that will wash out other things that are not noble, that are not honoring and glorifying to the Lord. Number eight, we are told and challenged to keep it. In fact, 29 times in Psalm 119, we are challenged and told to keep the Word of God. That means to obey it to walk by it. And then number nine, we are challenged in that psalm to share it with others. To share it with others. That is how the Word of God will change how we walk in this world. If I'm learning it, seeking it, choosing it, remembering it, turning towards it, seeing it, meditating on it, keeping it and sharing it, I want to tell you something. My walk will be different than it was when I was walking by my own wisdom. And isn't that what Jeremiah was contrasting for us in our text today? The man who walks, the person who walks in their own wisdom, their life is like that dried up shrub out in the arid, parched desert in that salty ground. It produces nothing. But the person who receives the Word of God and walks by God's wisdom. Their life is fruitful. It is fresh. What do all those things, those nine things add up to? They add up to a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of responding to the challenges we face every day. Doing these things in regards to God's Word will lead to a walk different from the world. By doing these things, we will be shaped by God's Word, even as Paul challenges the Colossians in Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. Very quickly, let me take two of those nine ways of taking in the Word and give you two more windows through which you can see the condition of your heart. First of all, we said how you receive the Word and how you walk. These are windows into the condition of your heart. Let's mention the third one, our worship. Our worship. Remember what he said in that uh, example I gave, number six, to sing it, the Word of God affects our worship. What does your worship, your worship habits, your worship disciplines, how does it reflect the condition of your heart? Listen to these two verses from Psalm 119. Again, that lengthy psalm about the Word of God. I love this very first statement in verse 54. Your statutes, your word, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Your statutes, your commands have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, 
and I keep your law. If you were to select a song that would be the song of your life, sometimes we talk about this just in ways of getting to know people, in ways of, of getting to know uh, what they think about themselves or how they think about themselves. And often we'll think up some song, some, some song that was, quote, our song when we were dating our future spouse or we think of some other song from our teenage years that was very popular that um, mine was American Pie by Don McLean because I never could figure out what that was all about. That's kind of what my life was like. All the above all the different stuff of the times. But actually, it is God's Word that should be the song of our lives. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. Sojourning means my pilgrimage, my time spent in this life. For you see, it is only temporary. We're not going to be here forever. We are pilgrims in this world. That's what the Bible tells us. We are strangers here. We are not to embrace the ways and the things of the world too closely. We're not to love the things of the world too much. There's going to come a day God will call us out of this world, and if we're Christians, He'll call us home. And we should not be like Lot's wife, turning around to long for what is lost, because what is lost should never have meant that much to us in this life. We are pilgrims. We are sojourning here. And this psalmist, David, said, Your commandments, your word, have been the songs that identify my journey in this life. Psalm 119, verse 72 says, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. If you want a New Testament passage, consider Ephesians chapter 5. You'll find probably at the top of that chapter the words how we should walk in the Lord. Verses 18 through 21 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What will that lead to? It'll lead to a different walk and it'll lead to a worship. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's very interesting, that last phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, follows right on the heels of singing, making melody in your hearts, of your, talking about your worship and giving thanks, and what it means, listen to me now, and listen good. Now I realize I'm preaching to the choir here for the most part. Private worship ought to be a regular part of our lives. Private, personal worship, or even family worship. But it is no substitute for corporate worship. Brother David prayed a moment ago about this being the most important hour of the week for Christians, times of corporate worship. God calls us to this. 
If we want to be obedient to the Lord, if we want to be changed by God, if we want to show ourselves to be the people of God, and if we are not some way providentially hindered, it is among God's people where we sing and make melody, spiritual songs, out of our hearts, giving thanks always, and submitting to one another. You have to be in the group of one another's to do that one another as well as all the other one another's. Dear friends, your worship is a window to your heart. Through your worship, your faithfulness to God's house, to the community of faith, the people of God, your generous lifestyle, your God-focused thought life, your thankfulness, through these things you reflect the condition of your heart. Let me close by mentioning one more. The Word is a window to our heart, how you receive it, okay? Your walk, how the Word is impacting your choices and your daily lives. Your worship ought to be informed and directed by the Word of the Lord and the things of God. Your window to your heart as you look in and see your worship is worship important to you. It helps you know the condition of your heart. A fourth window is this, our witness, our witness. And once more, we go back to Psalm 119, verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the just decrees of your mouth, O Lord. I share your truth in the way that I speak, in the way that I testify. In verse 46 and 47, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 126. Psalm 126, page number 517 in the Pew Bibles. We want to read this out loud. It's not going to be on the screen, but we want to be looking at our own Bibles or the provided Bibles and hear what this short psalm has to say. Psalm 126. He's talking about when the Lord restored Israel to the promised land. When he took them out of the bondage of Babylonian captivity and brings them back to the place where God's people uh, were promised. Probably, or very likely, Ezra may have written this song. Okay? Listen to what he said. By the way, that thing coming out of bondage and into the land, that is like the same thing as a picture of being saved. Coming out of the bondage of sin and being known as the people of God in the place of God. Read it out loud with me, beginning with verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now pause right there for just a moment. Notice their worshipful and joyous worship 
was a testimony to the world around them. As the world looked on, the world said, the Lord has done great things for these people. That's the way the world should speak of you and of me because of the joy and the testimony of our mouths. Now, let's pick up with verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He's talking about the power of the Word of God as we walk, as we worship, as we witness to the things of God, to our friends and our relatives and the world, to our neighborhoods, our cities, and, and the world around us. What's going to happen when God calls us home? Those who sowed in tears and they reap with shouts of joy, they will go forth weeping and bearing the precious seed and they will come home with shouts of joy bringing the harvest with us. What is the condition of your heart? The seed of your affections and your emotions and your desires. Are our affections and our desires fixed on the world and the things of the world and all the things promised to us by the enemy out there when in reality it's all a lie and our hearts can deceive us telling us it's important? Or instead, does the Word of God, like good soil, produce a fruitful harvest? And our changed lives our walk result in worship and witness that blesses the world around us. These are the windows to the true condition of your heart. How is the word being received? How is your walk being affected and changed and guided? How about your worship with God's people and your witness to the world? These things reflect the true condition of a heart that is not lying, that is not deceiving. Well, there's one more window through which we can see. Actually, there's several others. I'm going to mention one more, but that's going to be next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've not left us to be victims of our enemy, the deceiver, the liar, Satan. Thank you that you've not left us to be deceived by even our own hearts, but that through knowing you, we can know the true condition of our hearts. I pray that we would always be good soil that receives the word. Our lives, our walk will be changed. That our worship will be enhanced. That our witness will be effective. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. 
We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.